0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Oh my goodness, welcome to Sunday with Rainy and a a little bit less sleep. Come on, somebody. I'm excited about that all by myself. It's good to see you guys. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Journey. It's so uh, awesome to have you with us this morning. Thank you. Hey, would you do me a favor? Just give a round of applause for all of our folks that are tuning in online, man. We're glad that you're joining us online. You're part of our family. Uh, Hey, listen, uh, as Chris talked about, man, Easter is uh, is a really big deal. Here's the deal. Statistics say that overwhelmingly, and I'm not going to tell you the exact number because I can't remember, but overwhelmingly, people continue to say that they would respond favorably to an invite to an Easter service. Now listen, we want to create what we, we try to call an invite culture, meaning meaning, we, we try to do things, the kindness cards, the invite cards. We want to equip you to be able to invite people to just, it's not come and see what Discover Church is about, it's come and see what Jesus is about, amen? Because ain't nothing special about Discover Church because I'm here and you're here. What's special about Discover Church is because we believe that Jesus is here. Yes, and so, uh, so anyway, uh, the message that we're going to be, we're going to be doing a series called I'm Losing My Religion, um, and what we're going to be conveying is that um, to a world that has really kind of grown disenfranchised with religion, um, in, the, in the midst of it, they've lost Jesus. I um, mean, I just believe that Jesus is the most irresistible force on the planet, and if you could see him clearly, you'd follow him closely. And so the whole idea for the whole series is, I'm losing my religion, and God has been waiting on you to do that for a very long time. Because when you lose a religion, you can finally gain a relationship, and that's where we're going. So I want to encourage you guys to invite people to Easter services. We're in a series today, uh, uh, continuing in our series. Uh, that label doesn't fit me anymore, and man, it's been encouraging. And I'm just going to tell you, today is is one of those messages. Every once in a while, um, I'll, I'll, I'll feel um, this just compelled that there's a message that that God will just kind of totally upset the apple cart of our lives. And I believe that today is going to be one of those days. And this message is going uh, to show up like a wrecking ball to break through to some people today. Um, I'm going to be getting in some people's Kool-Aid today. In the name of Jesus, is it okay if I get in your Kool-Aid a little bit today? Seven of you are excited about that. The rest of you are not sure if you found the right church this morning. This is a message for anyone who has ever been in a situation where you've been frustrated or discouraged. Does that resonate to anybody? Have you ever been in a situation that's frustrating or discouraging? Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now, and um, I I just believe um, that, that what happens when we get in those seasons, we get frustrated, we call out to God, and what we end up doing is we end up praying against the devil. God, would you please help me? The devil is doing this to me, and I don't like it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Go away, devil, I'm going to kick you in the face. Hell, lost another one. I am free. And what happens is, is we get in situations where we pray out to God. We call out to God and we pray against the devil. And I just believe that, that we don't know, but there are times where we blame things on the devil that the devil doesn't have anything to do with. I'm just gonna tell you today, this is gonna wreck somebody's world today because there are times in our lives where we pray, we call out to God and we pray against the devil and the devil doesn't have anything to do with it. It's God's hand all
1: over it that he's trying to do something in you through it. Some of y'all are like, say, what now? That's where we're going today. Here's what I think that God would have you, wants you
0: to hear today. I think the big overarching idea, and we're going to be mining this out today, is that if God could be here in person, I think that today he would tell you, stop blaming the devil for the work I am trying to do in you. You see, we don't like this idea because it's, it's really easy. Uh, it makes us feel better if we can separate good and evil. It makes us feel better if we can associate everything that is bad, uncomfortable, frustrating, disappointing, discouraging, stuff that makes us angry, disappointed, anxious, uh, uh, depressed, uh, so, so the stuff that causes us to want to stay at home and not want to go out into the world. It's easy for us to associate all of the things that lead to those types of feelings to the devil and only associate the good, the positive, the, the encouraging, the, the lighthearted the the feel good stuff to God and, and, and I just believe that, that that's not always how it works. And so today we're gonna be diving into this. We're gonna be we're gonna be attacking a label today as we've been doing every week in this series, attacking labels that in Christ just don't fit us anymore. That in Christ, if you know Jesus, then then the labels that we're attacking are things that used to be true about us. But in Christ, we have a new identity. We're a new creation. We're a child of God. We've been set free. We've been redeemed. And we've been learning about some new labels. And so here's the label that we're attacking today. And this is the title of the message today. The label that we're attacking is the label defeated because there are times in life where stuff happens that causes us to feel defeated. What I what what's, what's crazy about this label is it is so incredibly broad. There's so many things that can show up in our lives that can cause us to feel defeated. But here's the deal. I am a really competitive person and I don't like being defeated. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if I'm playing board games. It doesn't matter if I'm playing basketball, if I'm playing golf, or if I'm playing Mario Kart with my kids. I'm competitive, y'all. And y'all don't get a chance to see that side of me very much because I have learned to to put that to bed at times. I first learned that I was 21 years old. I was a 6'5", 240-pound middle school pastor working with 11 to 13-year-olds. One of my first years in ministry, I thought it would be a great idea to organize a basketball game up at the church. And so I organized a basketball game, invited all the middle school kids to come to church, play some basketball. It was during the summertime. All the parents were like, oh my goodness, get Johnny out of the house. I'm gonna tell you what, I was dominating that basketball game. I think I had like a thousand points. I got every rebound Not a single kid that I was guarding scored on me. Matter of fact, almost every single shot that the kid that I was guarding shot, get out of here, son! What's the matter with you? Not my house. It took me to about the third game to realize I was not playing against college age buddies. And when one of the kids went running out of the gym crying because I Blocked his shot again that I began to realize maybe it's not always good that I'm this competitive. And I was feeling good about myself, a grown man stomping some prepubescent boys in a basketball game. And God began to work on me and said, "You know, we might want to work on this." I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. I hate losing. A lot of people ask, do you, do, you, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I hate to lose. I hate it. I'm not a very gracious loser and I'm, well, I'm not a very gracious winner either, but I hate losing. But for many of us, this idea of being defeated, it hits home because there are so many angles that it comes at us from. There's so many things that show up in life that cause us to be defeated. Let me just list a few of them that I thought about this week as I was preparing for this, as I was praying and and thinking about you, and maybe this might resonate with somebody today. Here are some things that can lead us to the point of being defeated. The feeling like there's no hope. Why am I keep doing this? I keep showing up. I keep getting my butt handed to me. And at some point, it just, it just totally demotivate, demotivating and demoralizing. Anxiety can be defeating. The heart palpitations, the shortness of breath, the inability to sleep, again and again and again, night and night and night, it can be defeating. Failure is defeating. Matter of fact, there are a few things that are more defeating than, than consistent failure. Discouragement is defeating. Hurt is defeating. There are some people who have given up on relationships and you have been defeated in relationships because you got hurt. Here's another one that's defeating, and we don't like to think about this one a lot. Habitual sin is defeating. And what I, what I mean by that is that it's the thing that you do that's wrong, that you know that's wrong, but you can't quite seem to stop doing it. And so you do the thing again, and, and, you, and, and when it's over, you think, oh my God, I did it again. Am I, ever gonna, am I ever gonna finally get over this? Is this ever not gonna be true? Is this just gonna be the thing that's just gonna label me? In my life personally, in my career, in my marriage, my relationships, as a parent. Disease is defeating. Divorce is defeating. The list can go on and on and on. And here's the deal. If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you're here today and you're not super familiar with the word of God, then what can happen is, is this can be, it can be like double defeating because you, 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 you're facing this defeating feeling, but you don't have anything to fall back on to be any source of encouragement, any source of motivation, anything that can cause you to think, you know what, this is not always gonna be true of me. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, then you're familiar perhaps with some verses that God tells us in his word that he gives us to be encouraging. I wanna share a couple of them with you. Some of you need to write this down if you don't know these verses. Some of you might need to find a way to write these on, a, on, your, on your mirror in your bathroom or, or put it as a screensaver on your phone. Um, but but here's some verses that might help you. Romans chapter eight, verse 11, this is what it says. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is he talking about? He's talking about resurrection power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead, he's saying, because you are in Christ, it dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. We sang about that today, that God, Jesus, Jesus, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven, but he left his spirit behind. And if that spirit dwells in you, then you have this resurrection power. Uh, resurrection power, and this is huge. This is powerful news for us. Because what it means is that we have this, this dynamite power
1: to blow up anything that we're facing. How about another one? Romans 8,
0: 37. said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, this label defeated wants to, wants to weigh over you like a, like a heavy blanket. But what these verses are telling us is that, is that we have resurrection power if we're in Christ, that, 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 that we're more than conquerors. And what this means is, is that this idea of more than conquerors means that you, you have won, you've conquered something with room to spare. Kind of like I continually conquered those middle school boys in basketball games. It wasn't even hard. I didn't even have to break a sweat. And so this idea that you're more than a conqueror means that you can conquer something in Christ and have room to spare, meaning it's not, it's, there are times you're going to conquer things It's not even going to be difficult. And what this means is that the power of Christ that raised him from the dead makes you more than a conqueror, and that means that you can resist whatever force is on the other side of that fork. I told you I was going to be getting in your Kool-Aid today. Here's the reason why, because I believe that there are some lies and there are some strongholds that we are living under. There are some, some, some things that we believe are these irresistible, uh, in, I'm sorry, immovable objects that we can just never get over. We can never get around. We can never dig under it. We can, it just, it just seems like it doesn't matter what we do. We just live in this state of being defeated. It's the new label that God wants to give us, that, that he has already given us if you are in Christ, but that we need to grow comfortable wearing is actually this, that we are more than a conqueror. I might, I, yes, it might've been true that before Christ, I was defeated. And there might be some things that might be defeating that I go through on a day-to-day basis, but in Christ, come on, I am more than a conqueror.
1: Amen, me and Mike Heater by myself. So here's what is true. This truth, this idea of being more than a conqueror brings two truths
0: with it. The first is that there's incredible hope and the hope is that it is true that in Christ you are really more than a conqueror. There is nothing that can stand against you. Matter of fact, the Bible says that there is no weapon that is formed against you that can prosper. Doesn't matter what it is. Anxiety, depression, Singleness, uh, broke bank account, weight, relationship struggles. there is no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. But when we flip that coin over, there is another thing that is true about this, and what's true is that there is a problem with it, that it's not instant. It's not instantaneous. And here's the problem that so many Christians have gotten boiled into because you have, you've been to messages in church services where you've heard a message like this. And the preacher man got up and said, you are more than a conqueror. So stop doing that thing. And the, the resurrection power flows through your veins. So quit doing that thing. And you go, man, amen. Devil kick you in the face. I'm more than a
1: conqueror. And nothing changes. It leads us to. It leads me to ask the question. Well, what are, we, what are we supposed to be thinking? What are we supposed to be processing? How are we supposed to
0: handle when we when we take these truths from God's word and we even memorize them, we even preach them to ourselves in those moment of difficulty, in those moment where things feel defeating, and and yet we don't see anything change. And so what happens is is we show up and we call out to God and we pray against the devil and we go I'm more than a conqueror. I can do it, Jesus. The same power in me, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna
1: And you wake up the next day and you still have a bad boss. You wake up the next day and you're still wrestling with anxiety. What do we do? We have to understand that, that, that yes, it is true that we are more
0: than a conqueror, but it is also true that God rarely does things instantaneously in a moment, that it might be true that the story is written that in Christ, you will have victory over this, either on this side of heaven or his side of heaven. But the reality of it is, is you are
1: still gonna have to walk through the battle. And we don't like that. We don't, we don't
0: like the idea that we, we still have to kind of go through the motions and, and, and that we, that we got to do this. And the reason why, and I believe this, and again, I told you I was going to get in your Kool-Aid today. And so here, here it comes. The, The, the issue is, is that for so many of us, we have taken a 21st century American view. A 21st century consumeristic view. A 21st century Americanized free uh, society. Uh, 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 my rights and constitutional demands, and, and all of these things. And we have taken all of this, and we have we have taken it, and we have we have built a construct of Jesus that fits into our 21st century consumeristic, um, uh, uh, materialistic, hedonistic view of Jesus. And we fail to realize that Jesus is not our genie that we just rub the lamp and he comes out and Jesus, I need you to do this for me. And he just goes, yes, whatever your wish is is my command. That's not how it works. When we open the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus is not just our genie in the sky. He is the king. He is the Lord. This is his world. It's his domain. And it's our pleasure to
1: even have a relationship with him. You say, well, I don't do that. I don't treat Jesus that way, really. So, yesterday, or last week, or last month,
0: or at some point in the last year, because Lord knows there's been plenty of those, when the stuff hit the fan. When things didn't go the way that you wanted it, when you were in a situation where the outcome did not look very promising for you, did you not call out to God and say, God, I need you to show up, and if you would just fill in the blank, then I would just fill in the blank. In fact, some of us, what happens is, is we get to these points where we oftentimes live our lives, and yet we might show up to church on Sunday, we might even give a little bit of money online, and we might even show up to serve every once in a while, but, you know, Jesus is kind of my Sunday thing, but I am my Monday to Saturday thing, and the world revolves around me on Monday through Saturday, and I will do what I want, I'll live what I want, I'll act how I want, I'll talk how I want, I'll go where I want, I'll do what I want to, and then I'll come back to church on Sunday, and I'll get cleaned up real good, and then I'll go back on Monday, and I'll just do it all again. And we don't spend time investing in the relationship we have with Jesus. We oftentimes don't spend even thinking about what would Jesus ask of me as my Lord, as my Savior, as my master, and me, his servant. What is it that he would ask of me in this moment to live like, to behave like, to talk like? And instead, we get into a situation at home, we get to a situation at work, we get caught or busted with something, and we call out to God, God, if you would just help save me from this. And in reality, for some of us, we live like that. And the last time that we
1: talked to Jesus was the last time we were in a situation like that. Listen, I know I'm coming across as strong right now, but I just believe
0: that there are some things that we are not living in as followers of Jesus, as his children. There are old labels that we are being dominated by and we're not living in the freedom and the joy and the hope of the labels that come with being in Christ.
1: That you are not defeated. You are more than a conqueror. And at some
0: point, somewhere along the way, we have bought into a wrong gospel. A gospel message of Jesus that says, well, following Jesus is going to make everything great. It's going to take all my pain away. It's going to take all my fears away. I'm not going to have any sorrow. I'm not going to have any hardship. Following Jesus is going to make life like rainbows, sunshine, and unicorns. woo Let's go, Jesus. Let's slide down the joyride of life together and you just knock everything out of the way and I won't have to, I won't have to feel any pain.
1: I won't have to feel any of that stuff. See, we, we, don't, we don't often say that out loud, but, but let's be honest.
0: And I'm putting myself in this category. When things get hard, when things get tough, what is usually the first question that we ask God? Why? Why does it have to be so hard? Why did they have to die? Why do I have to continue to struggle with this? Why am I in this situation? Why, why, why? And listen, family, I just got to tell you, God's word tells us why. Because life is not just, just, you know, powder puff, soft touch football game where nobody gets hurt. And, and it's like, you know, video game where everybody just gets to rack up all these stats and all these amazing things. And no one ever has to get injured. No one ever has to get hurt. No one ever gets their bell rung. That's not what life is. The Bible
1: tells us that life is a war. The reason why we don't think that, the reason why we don't live in that is because
0: the Bible tells us the kind of war that it is. It's not the kind of war that you think of. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, God tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not, it's not another person. It's not another situation that you're wrestling in. It's not something that you can see. It's a, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. The Bible says that we are living in a war. It's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war. And you can't always see it, but it is always raging all around you at every moment of every day. That there are forces of darkness. And when we start talking about this, people start being like, well, that's kind of one of them kooky churches. They're talking about that weird stuff. Listen, I'm not the guy that's looking for the devil behind every bush, but can I tell you the greatest deception that the devil has ever accomplished is convincing people that he doesn't exist. That everything has a spiritual component behind every single thing that we face, every single thing that we go through. It's life and it's death. And as humans, we're subject to this war. And as followers of Christ... We have been enlisted, not to just be bystanders and watch what happens, but we have been enlisted to serve as members of the army of good and righteousness and light against the forces of darkness and evil.
1: You say, preacher, man, you're starting to freak me out, man. I don't know that I like this. I don't know what to tell you. Because this is what the Bible
0: tells us is going on. And listen to me. Here's the reason why things get difficult. Here's the reason why things aren't always just sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. Because God's not training cupcakes, He's training warriors. I'm I'm just a stay at home mom. Girlfriend, you are a warrior in the kingdom of God. I'm just an accountant, I push numbers. Praise God for you because I hate that stuff.
1: But your office space and your clients, they're not just people you work with and just your clients. It's the battleground. Is he saying we got to go kill people? No, that's not what I'm saying. Calm down. But God's
0: not training cupcakes, He's training warriors. As a kid, I grew up, I'm the son of a Marine. I have many members in my family that have served in, I think, pretty much every branch of the military. And what I learned as a kid of of a Marine is I got a little bit of an inside look as to what that looks like, enough that I decided I didn't want it. But praise God for you if you served. Every branch of the military service, I don't know if you know this, has a special forces regiment. These are the elite of the elite. The Army has the Rangers and the Green Berets, the Air Force has special warfare. The Marine Corps has Force recon and the Navy has their famous SEALs. As a, as a nation, we're more familiar right now with, with the work of the Navy SEALs than probably most generations before us because of 9-11 and the things that have happened after that. So I started doing some research this week just trying to figure out, okay, if these are the elite of the elite of the fighting forces, then, then how do they go about being a part of that. How do they qualify? Well, for the Navy SEALs, I didn't have time to research all of them. I just talked, stuck to the Navy SEALs. Um, So if you're privy to one of the other ones, I apologize. But I found this interesting. I didn't know this, but in order to even qualify to submit a resume to be a Navy SEAL, here are some things that have to be true. They have a PST or a physical screening test. It's not, a, it's not a, a fitness test because a fitness test just says, how, how fit are you? It's a screening test because they're saying, we want to get all the weak jokers out. Here are the requirements. These are the recommended requirements that you are able to swim 500 yards in nine minutes. I don't swim, but that sounds really impressive. I float, barely, and I couldn't do that. You got to be able to do 100 push-ups in two minutes. A hundred sit-ups in two minutes, and you've got to be able to do 20 pull-ups in two minutes. And you've got to be able to do a mile and a half run in less than nine minutes. Now some
1: of you are going, that ain't that big of a deal. Some of you are going, Dear Lord. If
0: you get accepted, you meet the minimum requirements, you get accepted, you go to what is called the Naval Special Warfare Preparatory School. This is an eight-week school that exists for the sole purpose of preparing you not to be a SEAL, but to go to the training where you're going to test to be a SEAL. That's how intense it is. So you have to to meet the minimum requirements to go to the eight-week preparatory school so that you can be prepared to go into the real school to figure out whether or not you can actually make it. You make it through the eight-week school, and then you go to what's called BUDS, all right, which is basic underwater demolition seals training. And BUDS is a 24-week course, and the dropout rate is 75%. So just look down your row, you and three other people, and just tell them, sorry about you. I'm in, you're out. You see, what they do once you get to BUDS is they start preparing you and training you for war. What do they do? Well, the first seven weeks is grueling physical exertion. It is week in, week out, day in and day out. A little over two thirds of the way through is what is called uh, kind of infamously become known as hell week. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Hell week is five and a half days where each recruit gets less than four hours of sleep. Not per day, but for the week usually in 15-minute increments. In those five and a half days, they run north of 200 miles. And they spend 20 hours of each day training. Now, before we get, get it twisted, and and for those of you that like to work out in the gym, this isn't the kind of work where you make sure you have your right shoes on, your right socks, you got your right shorts and your tank top on, you got your tunes on and your, your earbuds, because, you know, you can't work out in 2021 without some music, praise the Lord. And 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 you got everything, you got your deodorant on, you got your anti-chafe stuff on, you got your water bottle. If you're a long distance runner, you got one of those cool little gel fanny pack things with like half ounce of water on each side, right? Like this isn't what this is talking about. This is, this is grueling physical exertion in full combat gear with boots, oftentimes with a hundred pound sack of equipment on your back with a rifle. At times you get to put that stuff down, but only to pick up with five other people, a 500 pound boat and run with it in the sand over your head, your belly crawling in the, in the surf and in the, in the sand and you're getting sand and it is gritting and rubbing and grinding your flesh away. And it's testing the best of the best. Who can have the mental fortitude to overcome such miserable pain? After they do that, you get seven weeks of that. Then you get into phase two. Woo, phase two, praise the Lord. You get into what they call combat diving. That sounds like an oxymoron. Combat diving. We're not talking about them jokers in the Olympics that got their Speedos on. That's not what we're talking about. You see, what happens in combat diving is what they get, what they eventually get to is they hand tie, they hand tie their recruits behind their back, and then they zip tie their feet together, and then they put weights on them, and then they throw them in a 20-foot pool and said, your mask and goggles are at the bottom, you got to go down there and get it. And oh, by the way, we're going to have some instructors that every time you start being successful, they're going to come and tackle
1: you, rip the stuff off of you, and you're going to have to do it again. That seems miserable, and it is.
0: You get to phase three, finally get to have a little bit of fun. They get to start shooting stuff. Eventually, if you make it through all of that, then you go through a 12-week training where you get to actually qualify and put everything that you used to the test to see if you'll pass so that you can become a Navy SEAL. Now, if we were to apply our our oftentimes default 21st century Americanized view of Christianity to this situation, then those recruits would say, but why? This is so uncomfortable. I don't like this excuse me, Mr. Senior Drill Instructor, sir, I have some
1: chafage. I need to go get my anti-chafe. You see, these Navy SEALs, these SEALs in training, they willingly submit themselves to it because they
0: know that they have signed up for war and their instructors are preparing them not to win a patty cake match. They are training them to be able to go into the most difficult situations under the secrecy of darkness, oftentimes with no support, with all kinds of unexpected variables, and they train them and they train them and they train them and they train them them, so that when the worst case scenario happens, they will be able to fall back on their training and say, I can still
1: conquer this situation because I was trained for it and see what we have to understand is that our bible says this about our god
0: in isaiah chapter 30 and verse 20 it says and though the lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction that verse right there is going to mess up people's view of god It says, though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. God, wait, hold up just a second. You mean the Bible says and promises me that there are times where I'm going to go through adversity and affliction? Yes, you will. Oh, in case you missed it, it's not only saying that you're going to go through that. I want you to notice what it says. The Lord gives it to you. It's a gift I don't like that. I don't like that view of God. My view of God says, well, God is loving and God is gracious and God is kind and he is, you know, he is the ever-present help in time of need and he draws near to the brokenhearted and he, 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 will, he will bind up our wounds and sorrow may last for the night, but joy goes through the morning. Wait, stop. Did you realize what it said? It says sorrow will last through the night. The
1: promise of being more than a conqueror is that joy will come in the morning. So I don't like that. That
0: my My God loves me too much and he wouldn't do that to me. Can I just tell you something? That if your God would not do this to you, then your God does not love you. Why? Because your God is training you for the battle that you don't even know you're in. And not only is he training you, listen, not only is he training you for the battle that you don't even know you're in, he is preparing
1: you for the battle that's coming that you don't even know exists yet. Listen, life is difficult. God
0: knows how how difficult life is. He knows how difficult the battles are, but here's the deal. As long as we continue to live with this busted, warped view of who Jesus is and what life following Christ is all about, then we are going to continue to live by this lie. And the lie is that the presence of suffering is the absence of Jesus, Listen, if you are looking for a church that's going to tell you that following Jesus is going to make you rich, it's going to make you healthy, it's going to make you famous, it's going to remove every single problem you've come to the wrong church because this church preaches what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. Say, preacher, this is hard preaching. I don't like you coming at me like this. Listen, I'm trying to be the messenger of God to help you see your situation differently. Because when you begin to see Jesus and what the life of following Jesus is really all about, then you'll begin to realize that this is the lie. That the presence of suffering is not the absence of Jesus. The presence of suffering is the evidence of training. He's training you for something. He's preparing you for something. This hard season that you're in now that is painful, that's difficult. Listen, I'm sorry that it is painful and as difficult as it is. Listen, I have gone through my own painful and difficult seasons over these last six to 12 months. But listen, this God has gotten all up in my business and said, "Listen, stop praying against the work I'm trying to do in you. I'm training you, son. I'm preparing you for something that you don't know what's coming, but in your current state, you are too weak. You are too unskilled.
1: You are unprepared and it will crush you. He says he's training us. The second half of
0: Isaiah 30, verse 20 says, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. This is the promise. Listen, that, that the bread of affliction and the water of adversity is God's gift to you because it's he's training you, he's preparing you. That adversity and that affliction is making you stronger. It is causing you to have to do something. It's causing you to recognize your weakness. And what God's promise to you is, is that when you go through this training, when adversity and affliction comes your way, way, God's promise is that your teachers are not going to be hiding in a corner. They're going to be plainly evident, which causes us to ask the question, well, who then are our teachers? Who are our instructors? In James chapter one, verse two, man, I, God, would you help me preach this? Cause I've never preached it like this. It says this, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James say listen you, James understands the premise that God gives affliction and adversity he knows this And so James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit now, writes to other brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says, listen, count it all joy. Stop whining, stop complaining, stop saying, woe is me. You're human, you can feel the emotions, but understand that if if adversity and affliction is showing up in your life, count it as joy. Why? Because you're being trained. You're going through the trials now, but God is gonna do something in the midst of that training this is what he says. He introduces us to our instructors. He says, verse three, knowing that the testing or the training of your faith produces patience, introduce your senior drill instructor, patience. Oh yeah, you see, I don't like that though. I don't like having to be patient because <laughs> you, you see what had happened was is I had prayed for it and I had kind of anticipated, you know, it for it to just kind of happen and I wouldn't have to actually, you know, do anything. And, and so, you know, that patience thing was like, well, I don't, you know, how about <clears throat> can I, can I cancel patience and can I request another one? I'd like to return to sender because I would like convenience. Can I have convenience as my senior drill instructor, please? God says no. Because the testing is going to introduce, it's going to produce patience. And based on Isaiah 30 verse 20 that we read just a little bit ago, I believe that I can say with some confidence that patience might be your senior drill
1: instructor, but your other two drill instructors are sorrow and suffering. Well, you
0: see, if I would have known that patience and sorrow and suffering were going to be the, my, my
1: instructors, I'm not sure that I would have signed up. It causes us to ask the question, God, why? Why do we have to have this?
0: Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning, Lord. You said that, and God is saying, you're right, I did. I didn't just say that joy was coming in the morning. I told you
1: that sorrow was gonna last for a night. God didn't hide anything from you.
0: But our Americanized hedonistic view of the Jesus that makes our pursuit oftentimes consumed by the never-ending, relenting pursuit of self-pleasure and self-indulgence and what I want when I want it has caused us to not see what God has written in black and white. And I believe it is a delusion and it is a tool from the enemy to cause you to doubt your faith, to question your God and to potentially for some of us even lead us to the point of such confusion that we would even walk away from him. Yet God is saying right here in black
1: and white, I'm trying to tell you what I'm about. I'm trying to tell you what I'm going to do. So what happens when sorrow and suffering and patience, what is the testing ground?
0: If it's about being trained, then what are we being trained in? What is the training ground? I'll introduce a few of them. Anxiety is a training ground. So oftentimes we spend time praying, God, I, you said to be anxious for nothing and to pray for everything. And so God, I'm praying that I'm so, I, I hate being anxious, God. Would you remove the devil? It's causing me to be anxious. And can I tell you something? It's not that God causes us to be anxious, but God is training you because you are in a situation where you're a control freak and you don't like not having control. You don't like not being able to control the narrative. And what God is saying is, is you can't be ready for what I'm bringing next if you don't learn to give up control and trust me. Anxiety is not the work of the devil. Anxiety is not a work of God. It is a byproduct of not trusting God. And God is allowing you to sit in this training so that you can learn to let go and trust him. What's another training ground? Your bad boss. Can I just tell you something? God wasn't surprised that you have a bad boss. And it's good that you pray for your bad boss it's bad when you pray for bad things that happen to him or her. And we spent God, I ha- you don't even know how bad my boss is, God. They did this and she said that and I just can't even stand. I- God, would you just show that my boss
1: is the devil? God goes, your boss isn't the devil. You have authority problems.
0: You keep praying to me for that promotion, You can't follow and you can't lead until you learn to follow. So the things that God is trying to train you in under the circumstances of a boss who might be considered by you as a bad boss, maybe considered by everybody as a bad boss, I don't know, but what God is saying is I have allowed you in this moment, in this season to have a bad boss because I'm trying to do something in you. I'm trying to help you see that you have have to learn to submit and honor and trust authority. You got to learn to stop gossiping. You got to learn to stop going around people's back. You got to learn to start taking responsibility for your poor performance at work and Instead of blaming it on your boss, God says, "I'm training you." How about this one? I'm still single. God, I've done been on so many dates. I've done been on 15 bad dates. Every single one of them, they don't like me. God, I'm just starting to. They, I'm starting to think the devil is just doesn't want me to be happy. No, it's it was true. The devil doesn't want you to be happy. But listen my man, young lady, if you've been on 15 bad dates, maybe they're not the problem. Maybe it's your bitterness. Maybe it's your insecurity. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's you're still holding on to hurt and bitterness from something that someone did to you a long time ago and someone that you're going on a date with can smell that from a mile away and they go, "Uh uh-uh, deuces, I'm out. I'll get the paycheck. I'll get the check, the tab though. You keep praying, God, would you bring me somebody? Would you bring me somebody? Would you bring me somebody? And what God is saying, I'm not gonna bring somebody to you because you're not letting me train you. Until you learn to let go of these things, allow me to bring some healing in these areas of you. If I brought the type of person that you are praying for, they would walk past you and never turn around because they could see what you're struggling with and they don't want anything to do with it. God's not, he's training you. God, I need some money in my bank account. God, I'm just so broke. God, would you help me? I need a better job. I need a different situation. God, I, the devil's just trying to keep me broke. And God says, listen, the devil probably does want you to stay broke, but that's not the reason why you're having the problems that you're having. You're having the problems that you're having because you are terrible with money. You're getting ready to get your stimulus check, and even though you got rent to pay, bills to pay, a car payment to pay, and some medical bills, and you got
1: credit cards out the wazoo, you to take it and go get a new phone and go on a trip. God said, I told you in my word that if you will be faithful with a few things, then I will allow you to be
0: faithful over many. That's not God's promise, by the way, is going to make you rich. It's just a principle that's saying, why are you praying for God to give you something when the little bit that you have, you've not proven to be faithful with it? God, I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have enough money to live sacrificially. I don't have enough money to be generous and to bless people. Well, if you can't do it on 100 bucks a day, you're not gonna be able to do it on a million bucks a day because the issue is not how much money is coming into your bank account. The
1: issue is what's going on in your heart and that your money and your possessions own you. Sorrow, suffering, patience,
0: These are our instructors. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to train you. Notice what James says next. But let patience have its
1: perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking what? Nothing. You see, seal's they have to be prepared
0: to come in by helicopter. They've got to be prepared to come in on a 20-mile hike. They've got to be prepared to get out of a submarine and swim their way to shore. They don't, they don't get to have the pleasure of just being, well, I specialize
1: in underwater delivery systems. The U.S. Navy goes,
0: no, you don't. You got to specialize on all of it because you don't know what's on the other side. And if we don't prepare you, then it will be on us. And when you go through difficulty, when you get defeated, then that's on us. We're going to do everything that we can to set you up for victory. Listen to me, your God loves you too much to let you go through life without being prepared to be more than a conqueror that he has
1: labeled you as. That is why he sends you through training. It's true. That old label of defeated...
0: In Christ, it doesn't fit you anymore. So if you're here today and you feel defeated, it doesn't fit you. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. That means that the the victory is already won, but it also means you're still gonna have to go through the battle. And you're still gonna have to go through the firefight. And every battle and every step and every firefight and everything that leads you to those moments of going, man, I don't know how I can do this. And and the things that cause you to want to start praying against, praying against the devil. And God has said, listen, I'm training you. Here's what, here here's two things that we need to understand as we work through this. And we're going to wrap this up. The first thing is this, you need to stop praying against the devil and you need to start praying for growth. What does that mean? It means that every single situation that you get on where you start to feel the pressure, you start to feel the suffering, you start to feel the sorrow. Listen, you gotta understand that those are present in your life because it reveals how incapable you are without Jesus. They're designed to drive you to Jesus.
1: They're designed to say, Jesus, I can, not so that he can go, I know. Now watch me do it through you. What's it look like? It means God... This is tough, but I know you love me. The problem is,
0: is we stop there. I know you love me, so God, would you, would you just, you know, help a brother out, help a sister out? God, would you pray against the devil? Can I just tell you something? I just believe that God is in heaven. He's looking into our situations when we pray those kinds of prayers. He's saying, listen, you got it twisted. <laughs> the devil hadn't even shown up yet. You haven't even gotten out of the gym yet. You think this is the battle? Huh.
1: You ain't even in the battle. You're all up in the fetal position in the corner in the gym hoping nobody sees you. So we need to say, God, this is tough, but I know that you love me. Train me well. And this is just something that
0: God's taught me to ask. God, what do I need to learn in this? Teach me, train me, prepare me, because whatever this is, however difficult this feels, this may feel in the moment, what I know is that whatever battle's coming next is gonna be harder. It's like a video game. Every level is a new boss that is tougher than the last. So God, what do I need to learn in this? Train me. Here's the second thing that we gotta do. We need to beware of temptation when you're in training. Here's what the devil does. The devil may not have been the source or the cause of your affliction, of your sorrow, of your suffering, of your adversity, But you can bet as a saboteur, he's going to show up when you are beaten up, when you are worn out, and he's going to try to bring the the knockout punch, and he's going to slither his way in, and he's going to bring temptation up, and he's going to make it seem so appealing that that temptation is going to be such a relief from your current situation, from your current suffering. Oh, it'd just be so good if I could just get this off my chest about my boss and tell her exactly how terrible she is. Oh, if I could just go, I just need to go buy that new thing. I ain't got money for the new thing, but it would feel so good if I could just go buy the new thing. I just want to, you know what? They ain't going to notice if I just fudge the numbers just a little bit. They don't really need that. I'll just put that in my back pocket and take it home. I mean, they got 5 million of them. I ain't got none, so I'm just going to take it with me. see, the devil will come in and he will slither into your situation and present temptation to you. And it's, it's going to draw you and lead you to sin. And what is sin? Sin is meeting a, um, a, a real need, a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And if you're not careful, the devil may not have been the one that caused the adversity and the affliction, the sorrow and the suffering but he will be the one that will come in and try to put the final nail in the coffin that puts the end to your story, to your credibility, to your character, to your integrity, to your honor,
1: to your marriage, to the relationship you have with your child or your parents. So beware of temptation. In Christ...
0: Defeated is nothing more than an old label that doesn't fit anymore. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Therefore, we need to have a change in our mindset. And we need to call out the lie that says that the presence of suffering is the absence of Jesus. The presence of suffering is not the absence of Jesus. It's the evidence of training so that you can be
1: positioned to be the conqueror that you are in Christ. I know this is hard preaching today. Listen to me, I love you too much. I love you too much to let you to continue to live in the delusion in the lie that said,
0: God loves me too much for me to have to go through adversity or hardship.
1: That's not true.
0: In fact, it's the opposite. God says, I love you so much. I love you too much that I'm gonna allow you to go through adversity and affliction so that you can know what I can do when you
1: finally come to the end of yourself. I don't, know, I don't know all the details of your story. I don't know what it is that has caused you to feel comfortable or to feel the weight or the
0: burden of that label of defeated. But I just believe in Christ today. He wants to set you free from that. And he said, whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect.
1: Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.